welcome to the Soul Revival Church Podcast. My name is Melissa Poisel, and my husband TJ and I are the lead pastors here at Soul Revival. Thank you so much for listening in. We pray that today's message is encouraging and inspiring. Man, what a good time of worship. Like this set, when I heard, I'm like, yep. God is that good. I feel his presence in this space. And every single song we're singing aligns with the message. And this set was put together before the message ever was. That's how good God is. And you might not be as pumped as me just yet, but just wait. Because I already know what I'm going to share. And you don't. But it's going to be good. Not because of who I am, but because of who God is. And I'm trusting in his Holy Spirit that he would speak today in this place. Amen. So if you haven't been with us uh, recently or if this is your first time with us, uh, we've been in a series called When in Rome. And we have been studying the book of Philippians. Now the Bible can be overwhelming. It doesn't need to be uh, because it's a love story from the God of the universe who cares so much about us. And he gives us wisdom and guidance and kind of lays out a game plan of how we can live our lives because he cares about protecting our hearts. And as part of that, as he uses people to write these different books of the Bible, as he used them in the past, we get the pleasure of now reading them, understanding what others went through, but how do we apply it to our lives here and now? And the book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this book when he was in a Roman prison. So that's what we've been studying is what does it look like to live a life the way that Paul is helping guide us through a relationship with Jesus? And as Paul is writing this from a prison cell, this book was known and still is known as the most joyful book of the Bible. Him from a a prison cell, writing from a jail, and it's known as the most joyful book of the Bible. Over 20 times in this short book that only has four chapters. How many people would love it if you were in school and you got, hey, I got a book for you to read. It's only four chapters. Woo! I didn't think about that till right now because it's kind of crazy. I don't like reading, but the Bible just, that I'll read all day. Uh, just bring it all in. But we're, we're going to be in chapter four this week. And in these four short chapters, he talks about joy over 20 times. And it's because of the fact that we can have a joy that our circumstances cannot touch. So if you're with me um, in your Bible, if not, that's cool because we'll throw it up on the screen behind you. Uh, there's a free Bible app that you can look up as well. Our team can help you with it after service. But in Philippians 4, I want to read verse 4 to you. And it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for these moments God, I thank you that the Lord is near, Uh, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this space, that you would help me get out of the way, and and what you have for us here today, Lord, you would speak, Um, and that we would all leave here different, understanding you better, but feeling your love even more. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This idea of joyfulness and being able to declare it and shout it out. But what I want to look at today is all of this verse, but the tail end when it says, the Lord is near. And if you're taking notes, the title of this message is Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Not the old school 1993 movie, which, I don't know, maybe a reference will make an appearance But cliffhanger, the idea of something that ends abruptly and you're uncertain about what's going to happen next, which also requires a season 
of waiting. I got an example for you. So last week, Friday, brand new movie came out. I'm not going to say what the movie was. I don't want any spoiler alerts for anybody. But this movie comes out and we surprise our kids and we take them to it. It's PG. And it was really awesome. It was really cool. And afterwards, our little guy Micah comes to us and he's like, man, that was really good. But there were three things I didn't like about it. And we're like, okay, well, what, what were they? Well, first, the swearing. I don't know why they needed to swear, which is pretty cool. Um, not cool that they were swearing in a PG movie, but the fact that he would reflect on it in such a way. He's like, the second thing was like, the people were kind of annoying. And if you're from Racine, I don't know if I have to clarify this any further, but sometimes when you watch a movie in the theater, if it's a really full crowd, people begin to think it's a participatory event. <laughs> and everybody is responding to the movie screen and yelling and applauding and getting crazy and talking junk to the screen. Nobody here has ever experienced that. Uh, but that's what was happening. And he's like, man, that was, that was part of it. But the thing that got him the most and that he hated the most about it is that there was a cliffhanger. The movie ended, but the story wasn't done. The movie ended and he's like, what's going to happen next? How long do we have to wait? And immediately following, we're already Googling and searching, when's the next movie come out? And it's like a year and a half we got to wait, something like that. And now here's this anticipation, this waiting, like, man, this thing that's going to come next. Because nobody likes a cliffhanger. Maybe you're doing a movie because you're like, this is great. I can talk about this movie and dissect it for years. And then we watch the next one and see how right I was. Maybe in that scenario. But in life, we don't always love cliffhangers. In life, what a cliffhanger represents is you don't know what's happening next. You have to wait. Were you mouthing that to me? My wife was like, waiting, <laughs> waiting. So tomorrow is our 14th wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary, babe. <laughs> feel very blessed and honored that we get to do this together. But in that, we've had a lot of waiting too waiting four years to even have our first child and waiting for God's plans to unfold, waiting. We all find ourselves in different seasons of waiting. And I want us to look at them differently after today with this mindset of it being a cliffhanger. If we're waiting, there's this cliffhanger and we can have an excitement and an anticipation about what's to come next. And I really think as we explore this right here in Paul's writings, we're gonna get a better feeling for how he responded in seasons of waiting. Because in this series, although we're studying the book of Philippians, in week one, we looked at the book of Acts and how the story started. How Paul had been sharing about Jesus in a trip to Jerusalem, and at that time he got arrested. Then he was in jail for two years, and he was like, yo, I want a trial in front of Caesar. And since he was a Roman citizen, they had to send him there. So then he goes on this wild adventure. He gets on a boat trip that ends in disaster because the ship wrecks on this island. Then he gets bit by a snake. Everybody thinks he's the devil because he got bit by the snake. Sure enough, he's going to die. But then when he doesn't die, then they think he's a god. And there's all these up and down roller coasters until he arrives finally at Rome and goes into jail. So I figured it was only fitting to end where we started. So the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, as you might read it, depending on which version in your Bible is the heading, but it is this story about the time of Jesus' ascension and then the beginning stories of the disciples and them as they start to expand the gospel. And Luke writes it. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is also the one who authored Acts. And this is how the book of Acts 
ends. So Paul arrives in Rome, shares about Jesus to all these Jewish people. Some people believe, others don't. There's kind of an argument about it. And then it continues. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him boldly, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. Seems pretty awesome, right? But that's how the story just stops. Like, here he is. He's on house arrest, all right? So he, he has this little space. He's got to pay rent for so he's probably working. And his ankle monitor is a, Ro- a Roman soldier. So it's like, you think, you think you're worried about the beep going off and how far are you from your home? It's like, no, he's got a soldier with him wherever he goes. And then it just ends with this cliffhanger. And you're like, well, what happened next? For two years, here he was. And then what? And no one stopped him from sharing about Jesus in that time, which is so cool, which means for six-hour increments, he had a different Roman soldier on him. And as they were sitting there, they had to hear about Jesus all day, every day. You know, you ever find that jam and you just love it and then you listen to it over and over? Like, I wonder if they were pumped by the end of it. Yeah, this is my song right now. Hey, Paul, tell me something else about Jesus. But God was using them in that season. But then there's two years, and then what happens? But for those two years, imagine what it would feel like to be waiting, waiting for your trial to finally arrive. And many people think that the book of Acts ends abruptly the way that it does because Luke was actually utilizing the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts to represent Paul in court. So they could prove to the Roman government that Jesus was who he said he was, that Jesus truly came and did what he came to accomplish. And here's this abrupt ending. But then as we dive into it, these two years of waiting, how Paul wrote about his time is how we get to learn how to wait well. Because he not only wrote Philippians while he was there, but he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, and the book Philemon all of which took place of him writing these throughout that course of two years. So as we explore chapter four today, it's gonna give us some insight, some understanding about how to respond in the middle of waiting. Because this is his words through the Holy Spirit while he was waiting. So I'm gonna pull up verse four again. This time I'm gonna read it in the message version. We're gonna be in the message today, um, at least for the Philippians four portions of it. But it says in this version, celebrate God all day, every day, all day, every day. You know, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about my little guy playing basketball, no days off, all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Man, could you imagine? Here he is, a prisoner, and he's telling us, revel in the presence of God all day, every day. Yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. You know, my boss was a jerk today. My wife, my husband, man, we're just in a tense moment. He doesn't say, except when life gets hard. If he were to add anything, he'd probably say, especially when life gets hard. But he's saying all day, every day, because we're going to celebrate God and what he's done for us. Make it as clear as you can to all to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them to see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. 
So he's saying rejoice. Find joy no matter what. Always rejoice in God whatever's happening. And also get along with everybody. Love everybody. So for, for uh, most of you, if you're a part of Soul Revival, our core values are Jesus changes everything. And there's another one that says everybody always. And those are taken from scripture because Jesus said the most two important things in scripture are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul is reflecting that here saying to love God no matter what and love the people around you no matter what, but then help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. There's an anticipation in that waiting. There's an anticipation in thinking that Jesus could show up any minute because that represents the ultimate cliffhanger. You go to the beginning of the Acts book and you read about it. Jesus tells all of his disciples to go into the world and make disciples. And then he just like ascends into heaven. I don't know what that looked like. I just imagine I'm kind of floating. And then off, off he goes and he tells them I'll be coming back. And now here's this cliffhanger. When's he coming back? I don't know. And Paul's writing the Philippian church to say, hey, be ready. Love everybody always because you never know when Jesus is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Now you're waiting with anticipation. You're waiting expectant that Jesus is going to return because he will return. We don't know the day, the time, the hour, but he will come back. Whether it's on this side of eternity or when we breathe our last breath here and we step into eternity and we get to see him. But it's this anticipation. How do we wait? Do we wait well? The ultimate cliffhanger in Jesus. So he continues to let us know how to respond then while we're waiting. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, don't fret or worry. Don't you love when people tell you that? Stop worrying. <laughs> but he's letting us don't fret or worry. Don't worry about the things you're up against. It says, instead of worrying, pray. Anybody ever tried that before? Jesus taught something similarly. He's like, hey, stop worrying about tomorrow. Today has enough going on. And Paul takes it and expands on that and saying, instead of worrying, pray. If you're taking notes, write that one down. Because next time you're feeling a little anxious about something, you're worried or nervous about what's going to happen next, instead of worrying, pray. Because when you're talking to God, it's hard to listen to fear. I said God weird just there. When you're talking to God, it's hard to listen to fear. Try to talk and listen at the same time. So if we spend time in prayer talking to God and we take our cares and our burdens to him, he cares and he will help us so that we don't feel anxiousness. We don't feel this worry. So as Paul saying, don't worry, he's saying because you need to replace your worry with prayer. Because last week, as we talked about practice making perfect and perfection comes at the end of our lives, we got to keep practicing. How's everybody been doing with their practicing? You've been practicing well? Yeah? All three of you. Can I get an amen? amen? I know everyone's hands were really raised. You were just thinking like, he knows. God knows. I've been practicing. But this, this will give us some handles to what that practicing can look like. Love God, love people, live with anticipation of Jesus coming back. And instead of worrying, spend more time praying. And he continues, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. 
Man, that's good. See, a petition is when you go to God with your challenges and your struggles, you're saying, God, I'm coming to you because I need your support, but don't only pray in that way. You also have to couple that with praising who God is. So it's like, God, please, please help me in my job. Help me get this raised because you know the bills that I have, but I'm going to praise you even if you don't. It's saying, man, my relationship is a wreck and I'm hurting every single day. Please bring healing in the middle of it. But you know what, God? You're still good. You still love me. You're still on the throne and you're still going to meet me in the middle of my brokenness. I'm still going to praise you. There is an importance to that, to going to God with our needs because he does care. But it's also saying, but I'm going to praise you no matter what, even if what I want doesn't come to fruition. So we allow then through the Holy Spirit, through our petitions, and our praises to shape our worries into prayer. Changes things, it changes the game so you don't have to walk around feeling so isolated and feeling this anxiousness because God's saying, you don't need to worry, you got me. Before you know, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. Spend some time with Jesus, get alone with him. We've been trying to practice silence and solitude, just resting in the presence of God and saying, what what are you saying to me? And then every time my own thoughts start to flood my mind again, saying, Jesus, you're good. Jesus, help me focus on you. Help me think about your presence. It requires practice. It requires some work. It's not something that you can just easily do overnight, but over time, the more you go to God with your petitions and praising him, the more over time you'll feel this settle within your soul because you'll know that he has got you that he is carrying you. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Worry less, pray more. Because it's easy when life gets difficult and challenging just to pray less and worry more. We get it backwards all the time. Man, this keeps happening to me. God's letting this happen to me because I've done something wrong. So I'm not going to talk to him for a while. Let me just try to get through this on my own. And then worry builds, worry builds, worry, worry, worry. You become a worry wart. I don't even know where that term came from, but it sounds gross. So let's just not go there, you know? But how do we pray more? Prayer can be very intimidating. I get it. But... Look at it more as a conversation between you and God. So for 14 years of marriage, if I decided, hey, I'll hang out with you for an hour on Sundays, once a week, that's when we'll connect with each other. And the rest of the week, I never talk to her. It'd be hard to have a strong relationship. It would be hard to navigate things like, uh, where should we uh, budget for our kid's school or the sports they want to, I don't know. I got to wait till Sunday. I'll talk to her then. Sounds, sounds kind of crazy, right? So then why is it so easy for us to only talk to God on Sunday? God is there with you at all times and he wants to have a conversation with you. So turn to him. Start with the petition. Start with the things that you need in your life. He, he cares about them but then allow it to turn it into praise. Read through the book of Psalms. David, some of his Psalms that he writes, petitions all over the place like, God, kill my enemies. 
but you're still good and I will still praise you. So let me tell you something. If he's asking God to kill his enemies, the things you're asking for, you don't have to feel ashamed of, but he'll reshape your heart and refocus it to him in the middle of that time. Man. So we get to pray. And then verse eight. Everybody loves a little summary, right? Summing it all up, friends. I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst. See, this is, this is key here. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. You know how they say you are what you eat? You become what you think. So the more that you think about the things that are not good, that are not holy, that are ugly, that are going to cause you harm, the more it's just going to happen. I was talking to a friend one time and a race car driver, like they'll tell you never look at the wall because if you stare at the wall, eventually you'll run right into the wall and crash. So we got to think about the things that are good. We've got to think about the things of God because where our mind goes, what our thoughts are is who we will become. And that's what he's sharing with us here. Like what you think about matters. Focus on the good and not the bad. Put into practice. Practice makes perfect. I didn't even read this verse last week. And I'm like, this is a great continuation. Probably because we're going right through the book of Philippians. But put it into practice. Because practice makes perfect. Put into practice what you learned from me. What you heard and saw and realized. Do that and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. So when there's a cliffhanger in life and you don't know what's going to happen next and you feel kind of afraid at the edge of this cliff and you're looking down and the fall looks so, so very far away, what will we do? If we love God and love people, if we wait with anticipation that Jesus is going to come back and we spend time praying and trusting in who he is and we practice those things. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, put into practice what I'm teaching you. I'm giving you the keys to the Lexus. Anybody else have a Lexus as their uh, dream car when they were a kid? And then you grow up and you're like, it's way too expensive. It's really expensive to service. I'm not gonna buy one, but the illustration still makes sense, right? Imagine your dream car and God's saying, here are the keys. Well, here it is, our dream life, the way that we want to walk with God and we want to feel as whole and as healthy as we possibly can. And he's saying, here are the keys to what it looks like to practice following Jesus so that you cannot live a life of worry, but of peace with me. But it matters what we do in the waiting. When there is a cliffhanger, how do we respond? Do we freak out and go, woo, that's too far. And I'm going to worry about everything. What's going on? Some coming after me from behind is attacking me. I got to go. Oh, but I don't want to fall. What am I going to do? I know this job that I'm in is not healthy, but if I jump into the new one, I might fail. And how am I going to pay those bills? Man, I know that relationship is just hurting me and harming me, but what does it feel like to be alone? This addiction has just defined me for so long and it's just something that gets me through every single day. But what if I quit it? Will I lose all my friends? We live in this state of worry. So scared of what the future holds. But you need to be confident in who holds the future. 
God has got it and he has got you in his hand. He's saying, there might be a cliffhanger right now, but I'm doing something in the waiting. So don't stop. If he's still working, so should we. If he is seeking and pursuing you, seek and pursue him back. And not only just because he deserves it because he's God of the universe, but because he wants the best for us. He's trying to help shape us and mold us and help our hearts and help us find a space of contentment. But that can only happen when we rely on who God is and allow worry to disappear through our times of petition and praise to God. Continues in verse 10. I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. Like, yeah, of course. We've been waiting to hear from Paul. He's in jail. And I wonder what he's going to say. This is horrible. These meals are terrible. Give me stomach ache worse than McDonald's. The AC is out, so I'm hot like all the time. And in the wintertime, if you read to the end of Philippians 4, in the wintertime, I'm freezing. I don't even have a jacket because he's asking his friends to bring him a coat. It's getting ready to get cold. Like his amenities were not great. But then he tells him, I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. The fact that he could find such joy in such a difficult situation, it's because he had the joy of the Lord. He can say rejoice because he knows what that looks like and what that feels like. He's like, yeah, I'm struggling right now, but I know my God is bigger than my situation. My God is bigger than my circumstances. My God is so good, so I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen because I know that he's got me as long as I keep my eyes on the prize, who is Jesus, and I keep going after him, seeking him, and trying to look more like him and love others. God will take care of me. But it takes courage because it's scary Stand on the edge of that cliff. It's scary when you think about what's to come when you don't know. That's what faith is. That's what having faith in God looks like is saying, I'm going to believe in him and trust him even when I don't see what the future is going to look like because I trust him. Rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Verses 11 to 13. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. Like, actually, I'm good. Like, I appreciate you're trying to hook me up, but I just want you to know I'm good. I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much. Man, that's a challenge, right? Like, I know our heart would be to want to say that and really mean it, but like, I'm good no matter what. Whether I got a lot or a little, I'm good. And this is Paul's heart because he knows what it is to be in a relationship with Jesus. With much as with little, I've found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry. You want to hook me up with a little dollar cheeseburger or you give me Thanksgiving feast? I'm good either way. I'm good. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. He's saying, I know what it is like in all circumstances. He was a Pharisee. He was popular. 
He had a lot of assets. He was walking around in luxury. And he chose to give it all up to follow Jesus, where now he was being persecuted for his faith, living in a jail cell, not sure what his future would look like. He knows what it looked like to have much and to have little. And he's saying, I'm good either way because I got Jesus. Verse 13 that we just read, I'm reading it in the NLT version, is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How many people have been like, yep, I highlighted that one. Verse of the day, posted it. I got this. I got Jesus. I can do anything. I'm not saying that God could do anything through you. But when you don't read the verses before it, we don't understand fully the meaning of what that verse is really about. Because when he's saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, what he's saying is, I can get through anything as long as I have Jesus. It's saying, whether I have a lot or a little, I know that I can get through it because I have Jesus. So it's not the thought process that I've got Jesus, so I'm going to go land the best career ever. I'm going to make so much bank, have my dream house and that Lexus we've been talking about, and I'm going to be good because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Just wait till I show up at that Justin Bieber concert. They're going to pull me right up on stage. I'm going to start singing. Platinum deal from there, baby. Sky's the limit. I got Jesus. What that verse is really saying is, do you trust God enough that in all circumstances you can be content? That in all circumstances you can have joy? Because I can do all of these things referring to getting through all these challenging times, whether I have a lot or a little, I can get through all of it because I got Jesus. What a comforting because life will get hard. Jesus promises us that we'll face struggles and trials. And here Paul is literally on trial and he's modeling for us what it looks like to practice our faith, to turn to Jesus and to trust him always. Sometimes it's just rejoicing. You're feeling discouraged, encourage somebody else. You're feeling like, I absolutely am in a difficult spot right now. Force yourself to open up God's word. Read it. Like, yeah, but I just feel so awful and I don't want to. And it's like, that's the exact thing the enemy wants to do. He wants to separate you from God. Go read Lamentations. It's a meaty book for sure, but to lament means to complain, basically. A whole book about it. So it's not saying that you can't go to God with your problems and your troubles. Whatever you do, just stop and think, should I go to God or not? And the answer should unequivocally be, yes, I'm going to go to him with this, even if it doesn't make sense. Go to him with all of your cares. You're feeling upset and mad right now? That's cool. Tell him about it. Because if we want to sing that song and allow it to be true within our hearts that the enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said you're mine. Yeah, Jesus is saying you're mine, so why do you keep going out with the enemy? I am your God. So trust me, because he's got us.
Philippians 4, 19 to 20. I want to read to you now how Philippians closes out. So we heard the end of Acts. It's like, all right, for two years he was there, so what happened next? I don't know. So through his writing, maybe we get a feel for what's going to happen next. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're almost done. It says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all the glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. And then he thanks his friends, asks them to bring a jacket, and that's how it ends. It's like, okay. God takes care of me, and he's going to take care of you. So he's saying, hey, he's taking care of you in that jail cell, and now he's going to take care of me. But where'd you go? What happened? How did this story end? Cliffhanger, right? I don't know. I, I love to understand the timelines of why things happen the way that they happen, when they happened. And it's like, all right, so Acts just stops. So then I read Philippians, and that's what he wrote while he was waiting for his two years. And he's telling his friends in Philippi, hey, just do what I've done. Trust in God the way that I have. He'll take care of you the same way he's taking care of me. And it's like, yeah, but did he? Where are you at? Did you make it? What was the verdict? Because in those two years, what happened next? So if you study the Bible and you look at what different books were written and when, you find out that Paul was freed. You're like, man, we've been waiting this whole time, this cliffhanger of this whole entire series thinking he's in this jail cell and he's about to die for his faith. And you're going to tell me at the end he got out. It's funny. He got out. You want to know how we know he got out? Because he wrote 1 Timothy. He wrote 2 Timothy. He was out. And then historically, when you reference some things and you try to find out more and more about who he was and um, where he wrote those books from and what was going on, Here's what happened next after the Acts 28, 30 to 31, after those two years, after that cliffhanger of what happens next. So it is believed that Nero allowed Paul to leave. And then as Paul left, he went on a fourth missionary journey. And most people don't know that there was a fourth missionary journey. When you look in the back of your Bible, it'll tell you his three missionary journeys because the book of Acts doesn't detail it. But if you read 1 Timothy, you hear about Paul and his travels. It is believed that he made it back to Philippi. He got to go and rejoice with his brothers and sisters that he had just written Philippians 2. And he was so excited and able to love them and care for them. He dropped his friend Timothy off in Ephesus and said, yo, you're going to run this church. And that's why he wrote 1 Timothy, because Timothy was with him, visiting with him while he was in that Roman jail for those two years. So now... Young Pastor Tim, that's my, that's my legal name too, Tim, just so you know. Pastor Tim is running a church in Ephesus, and Paul continues his journey, and he writes him, 1 Timothy. Here's the thing, though. He got arrested again. He got brought back to Rome again. And he stood on trial for his faith. And this time it didn't seem quite as hopeful. 
And this time, the outcome would end up differently. But as he's in this prison cell this time, he no longer had his own little penthouse where he was renting it out and people could come and visit him. He was actually in this jail cell. And at the end of 2 Timothy, chapter four, verse 17, 16 and 17, he writes, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I may preach the good news in the entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. And I showed up and I was on trial and nobody was with me. He now found himself alone with no friends at his side. And he's writing young pastor Tim to let him know to continue on with his faith, how to give him wisdom and guidance. He's feeling as though his life is about to be over. And all he wants to do is encourage young Timothy so that he would continue to pursue his faith. And he focuses here on these verses on forgiveness. Like they didn't show up for me, but let God give them grace on faithfulness. I don't care that I'm here alone because I know that God is with me and he'll see me through it. And he gave me my life in this moment. Fearlessness that I'm ready to push on no matter what, because I know that God has brought me to where I am and freedom that in Christ I have freedom. So I don't care if I was in chains before I got out and now I'm back. I was just as free then as I am now and in the middle of it, because through Jesus, there is freedom. And that is his heart and his mindset. And he continues and it says, yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. And you sit here and you think, here's this cliffhanger. So now 2 Timothy ends, it's like, well, what happened next? Well, in AD 67 and 68 is when Nero no longer had a heart for Christians and started to crucify them. And it is believed that that is at that time where Paul lost his life. But there's this cliffhanger as he writes young Timothy and what he's wondering when he receives it, I'm not sure. And where he's headed next, he has been called to pastor this church. And Paul, with his last breath, wanted to encourage his young friend. This cliffhanger, this in the waiting, and sometimes things might not turn out the way we would anticipate it to, but what he's saying is that no matter what, I'm gonna end up in the kingdom of God. No matter what, God is going to rescue me. It might not be on this side of eternity, but if I end up in heaven, I'm good because Paul is the one who wrote, whether I have life or death, I'm good either way because I'm either with Jesus, which I'd rather prefer, but if God's saying I need to be here to reach more people with the hope and love of Jesus, let's do it because he was okay no matter the circumstance. And God's asking us, are we okay no matter the circumstance? Are we willing to practice our faith to love God and love people no matter what we're up against, no matter what the outcome, because we might find ourselves in the middle of a cliffhanger. We're sitting there on a ledge and we're asking ourselves, what are we gonna do next? Earlier this year, we had a a series and I preached a message, a few of them, and we started having these bricks. And I've had this brick, we've had these bricks sitting on our coffee machine. I look at them every single day. And every time I look at it, I'm like, man, watch what God's doing. Watch how he's building it. And each brick represents our own lives and how God wants to build it and build it and build it. And the thing is, when God continues to build brick by brick and he starts to build it higher and higher, it creates a wall. A wall that becomes a cliff.
and God's building us higher and higher and we find ourselves on the edge of this cliff and it can feel scary because we're waiting. I don't know what God's gonna do next, but I know I wanna trust him with everything that I've got, no matter what I'm up against, because whether someone's coming to attack me from the front or I fall to the floor, I know God's got me. So what does it look like to wait well? How do I practice my faith well, but to also believe that God has got me? Because when we find ourselves at a cliff, it's so easy to look down and get so scared. We get so scared that we forget to look up and enjoy the view. We forget to look and see what God is doing, the relationships that he's building, seeing God use you in the life of those you love and you care about and how it's building and growing their faith. And we make it less and less about us and more and more about others and loving people the way that Christ loves us. And you start to see this cliff get built higher and higher. And you're like, yeah, I might be waiting, but I'm good because look who's here with me and watch how he's gonna raise us up to do new things and bring us into territories we've never expected before. But am I willing to wait well? Because how we wait matters. We can either wait with the Lord as we wait on the Lord, or we can wait in worry, wait in fear, wait and allow the world to trample us and to pull us out. But I say that today, we make the decision to say, no, God is building up an army. And as we find ourselves on the edge of a cliff and here's this cliffhanger, this moment of pause and the season of waiting, we say, yeah, I'm still gonna praise my God. I'm still going to trust my God. I'm still going to declare his goodness in the uncertainty of what's to come because I know he is a good father. And no matter what the outcome is, he will work it for his good. And I'm good with that. And for some, it might be just taking that first step. Making that decision to say, yeah, I want to explore what it looks like to have faith. I want to explore what it looks like to step into a relationship with Jesus. And maybe that's the first step for you. You've been waiting for so long to find purpose, to find love, to find peace and joy. And this worry has been eating you alive. And you have a God who loves you and wants to meet you right there. And God's word says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's all that's required. So I'm gonna ask, would everyone bow your head and close your eyes? And I'm gonna count to three. And I wanna give someone in this space an opportunity to respond and say, yes, I want a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you today, when I get to three, I would ask if you would just shoot your hand high in the air, that you would have that courage to say, yes, I believe. One, you need to know that Jesus, he came and died for you. Two, that in the middle of your waiting, God is still working and he is still with you and he wants to lead you into new spaces. And three, if that's you, would you shoot your hand high in the air and say, yes, I believe. Thank you. God, I thank you for those who made that decision to step into relationship with you today. God, I thank you that you love us so much, that you care for us so much that you work on our hearts and you lead and you guide us through anything and that you forgive our sins as far as the East is from the West. God, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that in seasons of waiting, as we see a cliffhanger, we would trust you and your goodness in it and that we would wait with anticipation your arrival. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Soul Revival Church Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review us to help reach more people with the hope and love of Jesus. If you would like to support our ministry, you can visit us online at www.soulrevival.church.